Hi everyone, I'm Dave Levine and thanks ever so much for joining me for episode number 45 of the Sports Stories podcast. The podcast where we delve and dive into the lives and sports stories of individuals who had successful careers in sport or through sport. Now in our last episode we had Sarah Green with us. Sarah really showed her vulnerability, her openness, her honesty into her journey transitioning from working in football right through to now working in netball and the transferable skills and her passionate interest in learning and self-development. Now today's guest is really similar. However, today's guest works in rugby union as a rugby union international referee. I'm delighted to have Christoph Ridley with me today, where Christoph will share a real insight into his journey from a, being a performance athlete through to becoming an international rugby union referee working in the Six Nations and looking forward to future World Cup. Christoph, I know will be sharing so many gems He's a real passionate people developer. He's really passionate in how he brings his insight, his self-awareness and his learnings from his previous experiences into the work that he does today. So let's find a place where you can really enjoy, maximize the insights and the learning you'll get from his story. Jump out on your bike, go for a walk, do what you need to do. But I really recommend that you protect some good time because I'm sure you won't be disappointed with what you hear today. So it just leaves me to say a very, very warm welcome to international rugby union referee, Christoph Ridley. Christoph, thanks for joining me on the Sports Stories podcast. It's great to have you with me. I'm really looking forward to speaking to you. You know, we've, we've been talking a little bit over the last uh, month or so, just getting to know each other a little bit. And I'm dead excited to hear a bit more about your story and the work you're currently doing. So thanks ever so much for finding the time in your pretty mad diary. Thank you for having me. Well, Christoph, look, some people know you, some people might not know you, some of the listeners. So uh, as a way of introducing you, you know, and I know that you currently are, are refereeing at a really high level, but just give us a bit of an introduction to yourself and maybe start off by sharing a bit about how did you get involved in sport at an early age? OK, so um, like most sort of most people who end up um, being in sport as a profession, I was absolutely crazy about sport as a child so I played as many sports as I could I played football I played rugby I did karate and um, in my free time I spent my time in the garden alone playing sport of some kind so um, I had a very traditional sport upbringing academics wasn't something that was at the forefront of my mind I was more interested in getting outside and playing um, and that's probably why I ended up in the position I'm in now um, just in terms of my journey, I um, started playing rugby and that became my main sport when I was about 12. I, I needed to make a decision as to which one I was going to focus on in, in terms of actually or realistically uh, targeting a specific sport if I wanted to become um, more than just good at that sport. So it was decided that rugby was probably the sport that there was a possibility I could make a profession of. Um, so I, I, I targeted that when I was 12. When I was 16, I signed a professional contract. So I left school and started playing with Leicester full time in their academy. Um, and then when I was 19, I played my first senior match for Leicester and I injured my shoulder. I dislocated. I had an operation. I re-dislocated, had a second operation. And then I was still only 20. So at that stage in my life, I'm thinking, well, realistically, am I really going to be robust enough to keep playing rugby if I'm already this broken? So I had to look for other options. I said academics wasn't my thing when I was younger, but I was now in a position where I was ready to study. 
So I decided to go and do a coaching degree at the University of Gloucestershire. I met some people along the way, one of which was the head of referee development in England. He asked, would you be interested in refereeing now that you're not playing? I said, probably not. No one thinks about refereeing. When I realised that I truly wasn't going to play much longer, I gave it a go. And that's how I've ended up in the position I'm in today. So um, it all happened on the back of a love for sport, on the back of an injury and on the back of meeting and being in the right place at, at the right time. Wow. Whistle stop tour there. But uh, let me just take you right the way back. You said a love for sport. Where, where did that love for sport come? How was that in your kind of family setup? So um, I've got three older sisters. They were all very good gymnasts. My father was a good basketball player and he was a good rugby player. And my grandfather was exactly the same, very talented rugby player. And it just so happened he refereed for a, a short amount of time at the back end of his playing career. So um, there is a, a, a small bit of refereeing in the DNA. I'm not the first in my bloodline to do it. Um, so that sort of flavour had, had been implanted into me um, early on. It was something that I was aware of, whereas most people probably don't have a connection to refereeing. Um, but I cut, like you say, in short, I come from a talented sporting family. Um, so it, it was always inevitable I, I would be involved in some way. Chris, what, what was it like coming from a talented sport family? And, you know, you used the term there. When I was 12, I, I was looking for a sport that I could be more than good at. You know, so what, what was that like being in that environment so young? So and when I think back to that now, I would never encourage someone um, to say to a 12 year old, <laughs> you need to make a decision. It's either east or west. I, I, I think back to that and I think that's really um, sort of river thinking. That's that's not really embracing all different opportunities. Yeah. But um, we my dad, my dad was he wasn't a, a pushy parent. But he, he would open up um, doors and say, you have an opportunity here or you have an opportunity here, but you're, this is the, the way to, to be more successful um, if you take that avenue. And, and when I was 12, he, he had that discussion with me and the discussion pretty much was, you, you're a very talented sportsman, Christoph. It's likely, because every sport you play, that whichever sport you target, that you might become a professional sportsman. Um, whether you target football, karate, rugby. But in order to make that happen, now's about the right time to start thinking about which one you really want to focus on rather than playing football Saturday, karate Sunday morning, rugby Sunday afternoon. It, it was never um, sustainable to do it that way. And, and obviously I would never push on with one specific sport. So um, although it sounds out of the box and not the, the most... Uh, uh, probably not the most advisable co coaching method. Um, it was effective in the sense of it gave me some purpose early on, which is probably what led to the success. Just again, play back to me. Why rugby rather than football or karate or any of the others? What was it about the sport that you felt you could connect with and be successful at? Um, so if you ask me what, what my, what my, super strength was so yeah. to speak i was particularly good at contact sports okay um so i was very brave when i was young yeah. i i people used to always say i punched above my weight i was very powerful um for my size and 
when we were in the playground playing bulldog and games like that, I remember other kids refusing to play bulldog if I was the person in the middle. And I have images in my head of that, but I was never the biggest kid. Um, Nowhere near it. I'm only five foot nine now. Um, So that was the fact that they thought that wasn't because I was a huge kid. It was because people knew that I was daring and I was brave. So I knew that a contact sport was the right way to go for me because I knew that's where I had an edge. Were you born brave? Do you become brave? How did that manifest itself as you went through, as you said, because you're not a big bloke, but actually there's something in you, obviously. Um, I, I've often said, and, and coaches might disagree with me, but I don't think you can teach someone to be brave. Yeah. Um, I think you can expose them to environments which can help them become more resilient and a lot of that is is with the mind but teaching someone to sort of um throw their body uh into collisions and not worry about the sort of collateral damage not worry about well this might happen to me um and i i was off i often came worse off in in lots of collisions when i was when i was a child but i sort of just stood up and got on with it now i don't know if that's as a result of parenting i've never really spoke to my parents about it but maybe they let me climb trees maybe they let me fall out of trees and didn't um molly coddle me so those risks kind of stuff there might be there might be something deeper there for me to explore personally but i'd imagine some of it was nurture but a lot of it i think is is nature and you're born with i think a contact bravery have you seen that as you've gone through in other people or even as a as a referee nowadays that do you see people who you think can just naturally brave embrace the contact or others that kind of have to really develop that skill i'm really drawn to people who are very strong um so often when i'm in a um a situation that might be it might be conflict so whether we're in a restaurant we're in public as long as someone isn't rude, if they're firm, um, I'm, I'm quite drawn to that behaviour. I like that behaviour. I think it presents a sign of somebody who's lived through something or been through something or had experiences um, that have taught them to survive. So I've often explored and really been interested to, to dig deeper with people who I see present those sorts of behaviours. Um, uh, so... I, not I, yeah I think that I do see it now with guys coming through but it's hard to find with younger guys because I think we have a generation that maybe isn't as robust as the generation were before how did you become robust then you know did you develop that firmness and that kind of uh, uh, it's not your your word but my word was that kind of nearly assertiveness and my dad is a very firm character okay um, he's very assertive um and he is very practical in the way that he approaches everything so my partner often says to me oh you're just like your dad you're just (laughs) like your dad um and i'll i'll tell i'll i'll turn up um to my parents house i'll present something that is exciting and mother will say that's fantastic something to look forward to and my dad will come up with a potential issue a potential blockage um a threat um, and that's always been his role. So I think it's come from there. Do you think you're more like your dad than your mum or have you got a bit of both? Um, my dad is very academic and, 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 and my mum, she, she, she's very emotionally intelligent. Yeah. Um, 
and I think that I err more on her side in the way that I um, I deal with people. Um, but I wish I, I I wish I wish I was more interested um, in, in school. I wish I was more interested in my academics because um, I think I missed 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 a trip there. But you also raised something for me, which is really uh, I'm really interested in about the idea that you've become so much more interested later on in life in terms of learning and developing. Whereas, you know, you, you said earlier on that you're quite keen to learn and grow and the academics is more of an interest. Uh, yeah. You've been to university and I'm, I'm always curious about that idea that we, you know, learning's the wrong way around. The older we get, the more interested we get in learning. Talk to me a little bit around going to the university and picking up that coaching qualification, because, you know, that must have been an interesting time in your life where you were having to deal with, you know, the severe injury and also looking at a changing identity and direction. Yeah, it, it, it wasn't so much I became more interested in learning. I was just okay. ready to learn. Right. Okay. Um, I, I'd finished exploring. I'd finished testing boundaries. Um, and I was ready to sit quietly and listen and write things down and take on board information. I was past the exploration phase. And I think it's difficult when you're still wondering what's going on out there, what's going on in here, what else could I be doing? Oh, I wonder what would happen if I press this button. Mm. I think that distracts from learning. It's, it is learning, but it's your, your own learning. It's yeah. not um, it's not the curriculum that's set up and how we're it's meant to do it. It's not formal, is it, I guess? It's not the formal learning, it's the informal. No, so I was non-conformist. I, I wanted to learn when I was young, but I didn't want to do the curriculum. Um, but I was ready and I was aware when I was older to take that on. And that's why I went into the coaching degree, as you say. Um, and I, I have a specific interest in, in people, the way people interact. And I've already touched upon how I'm drawn to people who interact in interesting and often firm ways. Um, so coaching fitted in hand in hand with that. Um, I wanted to explore how I could improve people and the way they operate and make them better in some way. So was it, were you interested in coaching people, coaching sport or coaching rugby? I never had an interest in coaching, in coaching sport really. Right. Um, I want I, I want to coach an, intervid, in, an individual. I want to mentor somebody. I want to support someone um, above and beyond their focus area. So I want to discuss um, their habits when they wake up. I want to discuss um, relationships and how that will impact performance. I want to discuss um, their past experiences from their previous life and see how that impacts on what they're doing now so it's a, it's I want to coach but on a deeper level I want to be involved in the whole process I don't just want to turn up from from two till three in the afternoon and be involved just for that period that that to me is not coaching so when did you work that out that this was the sort of coaching that you're interested in either the coaching of the whole person um, having gone through a coaching sport coaching degree was it part of that process is where you, where you found that out or did you know that before and you've just used the the coaching degree as a mechanism just to further some of your development I think it, a lot of it was to further my development but I, I always knew I was interested in people and the way they behave um, you know and I mentioned before when I see conflict um, I, I don't just look at it and think oh my 
there's conflict in front of me. I look into the way people's body language is speaking. I look at their mannerisms. I listen to the way they're speaking, their tone, their volume. And I, I actually start gathering lots more information than I think most people do um, because I'm so interested in those behaviors. And often I'll leave a, um, I'll leave a family party and I'll turn to my partner and I'll say, did you notice the way this person was behaving? Did you notice the way that they looked when this person said this? And no, people don't notice it as much because I don't think they're as interested, but um, I'm just absorbed by, by behaviours. How does that link into what, what you're doing now then as, as a, a, a referee? How has that kind of helped or hindered you on your journey as a referee? So it's made me really aware of, of managing um, sort of my relationships and um, how I can create allies in the game, how I can um, uh, rid of any threats that people may, may present to me. Um, and as a referee, you're often playing that villain role. So part of that role is, is um, you have to accept that you're not there to be liked. You're not necessarily there to make friends at a minimum standard. You're there to, just to be respected. And ultimately, if no one speaks to you at the end of the game, um, you've probably done the job well. Or if no one speaks about you, you've probably done, done it well. It doesn't come with lots of gratification. Um, in terms of how it's helped me, it just means I'm conscious of, of my own behaviours, how I present, how I can help get people on my side um, and how I can be followable, understandable and ultimately accepted um, by the people that are around me. And what I mean by people, I mean the players, the coaches, the spectators um, and the wider audience. Um, so the, the, the way that I present decisions, my body language, my signals, my tone, it's all thought through. It's all planned about how I can best sell this decision to everybody that's watching. Ooh, you used a couple of words there. It's really jumped out for me. And I'll try and play a couple of them back to you. The one of them was around the idea of gratification. You know, the idea that you, you said as a, as a referee, you're often seen as maybe the villain. You know, and how, how do you manage that in terms of your self-worth and your self-regard? So the first thing I would say is, and you mentioned before about recognising um, other people coming through who have um, the skill the, the, the skill set to be robust, which is certainly one of the most important things in, in what I do. And the trickiest thing we find now, Dave, is um, generally young people need gratification for almost everything that they do. Um, and that's why they film everything. And I say they, I do the same thing. Yeah. You know, I turn up to a concert. I don't just stand there and watch it. I take a thousand pictures and I video the concert. I, you're never in the moment. And the reason you're videoing and photographing is because you want to share it with someone else to get some sense of acceptance for what you've done. So our role doesn't necessarily appeal to young people, to the modern day uh to a human being because we constantly want uh, reassurance and to be told that it's going well and to be told that um, that people are impressed with what we're showing them and what we've ex we've experienced even though they weren't there um, so it doesn't suit everybody um, but I think I, because I'm aware of that and because I was aware of that before I started I knew that when it went well I would be patting myself on the back and it wouldn't be a case of other people approaching me. 
Um, and actually my goal now, Dave, is to not be spoken about. And I've had to make that adjustment um, and say, actually, this is what I want to achieve, even though it's, it goes against everything that um, emotionally you want. Actually, if I achieve that, then I, I've done my job well. How, how do you do that then, Christoph? Because I just think it's such a, a pertinent point and you've articulated it brilliantly. The idea again of, you know, success is not to be talked about, you know, in a, a day and an age whereby everybody's wanting to be talked about. And I just think, are there any strategies or, or you know, how do you get your gratification if we, if we base it on the fact that you, do, you said that actually we all need some of it or we all need a pat on the back? Do you look for it in a different way then, or how do you manage that? It, it has to be, and I, I hate to use the word, but it has to be a quiet arrogance, uh -huh. I think. Um, it's, not, it, it's, not a, it's not an arrogance where you push back at people who say that you're not very good and say, actually, mm -hmm. I'm very good now um, because of this. It's a, okay, I, I can hear what you're saying, but inside I know the truth. I know that... I'm put in this position by experts. I know that when I'm stood in that 40,000 capacity stadium, that there's no one else that can do a better job than I can at that point in time. Otherwise they would be there. Um, and I, I also recognize their opportunities um, for me to continue proving that maybe I can be the best in the world at what I do. Um, and that you're quietly just ticking over each week you're reminding yourself, I'm put here by experts. I'm the best in this stadium to be in this position to do this job. And I have the, the potential to possibly be the best in the world at what I do. And all those three, I think those three things um, is enough to carry you week to week to week without other people telling you that you're great or that you're, you're not great. Um, and that, they're what I carry with me. And they're written down on a, on a small sheet of paper, Dave, and okay. I put that in my changing room before the game remember why you're here oh wow okay so those are kind of strategies that you use to keep yourself going a kind of nearly self-affirmation kind of yeah. idea yeah because you do, like like you mentioned you don't get it from other people so yeah. you have to draw it from within and, and you also pick up you know that the term which i really like is that quiet arrogance and there's a dark side to that i guess if you become overly arrogant and actually there's a how you're using that in kind of a, getting a fine balance and getting it in a positive state how do you keep yourself moving forward as well and developing you know what what's the role of kind of feedback and um uh, and you know risking and, and getting things wrong to get things right how do you manage that to keep yourself improving so I've constantly been aware of surrounding myself with experts. Um, so, and that, that's partly how we've ended up talking to each other because I'm constantly reaching out. I want to talk to, to people who are interested in developing. Um, I want to talk to coaches, players, other referees, and just absorb as much different information from different sources as possible and not necessarily rugby people right um i'm looking to transfer skills from all different walks of life whether that's business other sports and bring them into to my game and what i do and what i try and achieve um so i surround myself with good people and people that have been there and done it and also people who've done other great things that might be able to help me improve so I think the first thing, Dave, is being aware that it's never ending. I constantly need to keep learning and, and be open to listening to new people. And then the second thing is making sure you surround yourself by the right people. 
Um, and it never leaves me and it's quite cliche, but you people say you're an average of everyone you associate yourself with. Um, and I, I once heard someone say, show me your friends and I will show you your future. Yeah. Um, because if you hang around, um, you know, with a bunch of losers, it's inevitable you'll end up one of them. Um, so you've got to surround yourself with success and experience and and um, understanding and empathy and, and people who cover all bases. And I think I do that quite well. You also used the word earlier on, Christoph, which I'm kind of trying to understand how this fits with what you're saying. And the idea you said was, you know, I'm really thought through and planned in all of my interactions. And again, in terms of your development, it sounds like it's it's quite it's very thought through and very purposeful. And I, I really um, respect that. Yet on the other side, you also mentioned about being really present and what, what's in the here and now. And there's a kind of a tension for me between those two as well. So, so the word I'll say immediately is authentic. <laughs> right. Um, so whatever I plan, whatever interaction um, I prepare for will always be planned with, with pure authenticity. Right. Um, so it will be me that presents that interaction in my way and my personality. I won't be planning for interactions that don't suit me or I won't be planning to speak in a way I don't normally speak or present in a way I don't normally present. So that's the first thing I'd say is everything I plan is authentic. I'm also aware there's a risk that you can over plan and you can over script. Um, and I often say to people, scripting can be dangerous because if something happens, um, it's really hard to then uh, sort of derail yourself from what you, you thought um, the event would turn out like. So it's that awareness that you, scripting can be good as long as you're aware it might not quite go how you're planning for. Um, and scripting is only effective if, if it's authentic as well. I just want to give you an example yeah, of um, how I would plan my interactions. So they're not necessarily detailed conversations, but something like this. So when I was first starting to referee in the Premiership, uh, this was four years ago. I still look reasonably young now, but four years ago, I was really baby-faced, um, childlike, um, and walking in those changing rooms with players who played for England um, and, and other international uh, teams would, would instinctively look at me and think, what is this child doing here? And how can he possibly manage this whole group of 30 experienced men who are all older than him? Um, so I knew that I needed to adapt my behaviours to fight that stereotype, to fight that instinctive thought that they would all have. And the way I planned to deal with that was to be slightly firmer than I would normally be. And the words I would use is businesslike. So I planned to be businesslike and that meant shaking hands slightly firmer. It meant eye contact. It meant not overly smiling and being too flowery as I went in. I wanted them to know that I, I appeared mature and like I knew what I was doing. Um, so when I say I plan those interactions, the plan was just to be businesslike, and then I had to decide what businesslike looked like for me. Fabulous uh, um, example there, Christoph. How did you get to that place? You know, there's lots of listeners here will be going, you know, I, I need to turn up in my workplace or in my environment or in my sport or whatever. And, you know, 
did you did you work that out yourself did you have some support to work that out um and then practice those strategies you know because that's that's um you know for me playing again that sort of that tightrope between authenticity and being kind of uh, very deliberate yeah yeah and it and it really is a tightrope and i haven't always got it right and one of the reasons one of the points you just made about how have i got there there's i've got lots of scars right. um, where it didn't go well okay. um, but i learned i learned those things early um, and i tried things in my career when it didn't matter yeah um, so you have to choose your moments okay. um, and that scripting and that being deliberate like you say that doesn't just go on at work and if you want to practice to make it happen at work work probably isn't the place to practice it yeah. but you can practice it at home um I, I i'm often deliberate in the way i deliver a message to my partner yeah. um how can i manage my partner's expectations when i tell her the house we've bought has fallen through um how can i deliver that message so that it's not just bad news and there's still something to look forward to at the end of of, of the delivery so I think even there in a low level environment, they're thought through, they're deliberate. It might go, it might go how you want it to go. It might not, but it's practicing for that environment where you want to take it. So it's not just using those strategies um, when you need them, it's using them as a habit. And I think if mm -hmm. you make these habits, um, that's when you become world-class at what, uh, at what you deliver. And, and as you were talking there, I was thinking, gosh, you know, this is not just something you're turning on, on, on the pitch when you cross over the line onto the field as the referee. It's something that you're actually installing in you, whether you're at home, whether you're dealing with um, your, your peers, whether you're dealing with the press, whether you're dealing with fans. It's, it sounds like this is something that you're very, very conscious of. I think everybody does it whether everyone's aware they're doing it, I'm not so sure. And if someone were to watch this and said, and said well, I don't do it, unless you are 100% consistent with every character you come across, whether it's your mother, your partner, the waiter in the bar, if, you're, if you don't treat them all the same, then you're, you are doing it um, because you're choosing different fronts, you're choosing different tones, um, different language to suit those individuals. Mm -hmm. Um, so everybody's doing it, whether they're aware is a different thing. And I love the idea how you're positioning it, you know, your, your training ground for you becoming a world-class ref is everywhere, isn't it? Absolutely, because it's habits. I, I think when I think world-class, I think habits, it's something you live and you breathe. Um, it's not something you turn up and become world-class for a few hours and then walk away from it and then go back to average world class is a constant it's 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 relentless and it's one percent and it's um doing it at a capacity that other people wouldn't be able to cope with that they're the sort of things i think about when i think world class and i don't think i'm there yet but i want to be there and i've seen people who do demonstrate behaviors which are there or thereabouts that i aspire to be like um but i i, I do think it's it's full time um, it's not something you can dabble in and out. You made me smile there when you said, you, you, I don't think I'm there yet. And I, I wondered, what, well, what's there in terms of being world-class? I don't know. I don't know. And there, <laughs> I'm also aware there's no perfect performance. Yeah. Um, there is no, there's no completed 
um, performance from our point of view. So in the, on the whole, I don't know what I'm trying to achieve, um, but I'd like to be regarded or if not regarded, I'd like to get to the position that I was always capable of getting to. I don't want to leave any stone unturned. Um, I, I want to push myself so that I, I, I can reach my max capacity. Yeah, whatever um, that is. <laughs> whatever that is. And I don't know what that is. I don't know whether um, that would be deemed by someone else as world-class. I just don't know. Well, and I was talking with a colleague of mine who's also a, a respected coach, and we were talking about the concepts of kind of boundaryless. On oh, we don't know what our full capacity, and how do we keep pushing the boundaries to find what that, you know, that maximum really is. You know, and it sounds like you're really a, a, a striving to just to keep becoming absolutely tuned into who you are, what you're about, and therefore how that kind of turns out in the world and the work that you do I know it's another cliche term but it's a journey isn't it it's something that it's a journey and and the amount of times I've thought I've completed the journey and I've sussed it and I think oh I get it now I completely understand uh what you need to do in order to be super successful and then I hit another speed bump and I realize actually I thought I got it then but I don't because I've just found this out um and then only days ago, my game at the weekend, it's, you, you find out again that actually I'm not as completed as I thought. There's something else that I had never considered. Um, so I think you will always have those um, feelings that you have sussed it, um, but then you'll have a realisation that you haven't at some point. Well, and my sense is that, that when we think we've sussed it, that's the time then things are not working. You know, we're, we're actually not, um, we're not learning, we're not developing. And that's, that's the time when we actually start going backwards. So I really kind of like your idea there in terms of actually being open to the fact that we're continually learning and actually it's a recognition or review of actually where we're at and how can we go from where we are. You know, you, you mentioned, Christoph, also, you know, scars, you've mentioned the speed bumps kind of idea. Have you got a, a, a kind of an example or a scenario where you, you know, things didn't go so well? And, and how did you pull yourself out of that time? Because, you know, a lot of listeners, again, will be thinking, gosh, you know, sounds like this is all perfect and you're just doing so brilliantly and you've, you're, you're at the top of your tree nearly in terms of where you are in the game. Still places to go, but it's, it's not all been plain sailing. I know that. And actually, how, how have you managed yourself through the low times? Um, so... The first, first way I managed myself is I, I knew that there would be low times even when it went really well. So I always took the huge successes with a pinch of salt. I always knew this wouldn't define my career. This wouldn't mean that I'm now the best. There will be a moment where this goes wrong and comes crumbling down. Um, I, because I've surrounded myself with people who've been there and done it, I, I'd heard stories that it it's a full circle. You at one stage, you're, you're the best in the world. And weeks later, you've made the worst decision in the world. And that's just the way um, sort of our careers work. Um, so firstly, I, I, before I had any catastrophic events, I knew that they were coming. I knew at some stage something would happen that I couldn't control or that I just got wrong because you can't operate at that level in sixth gear constantly. Eventually you, you, you're gonna drop a gear and you're gonna miss something. Um, so the one, the event I think about, and it, it, it's a game that lots of people know about, it's Exeter against Harlequins. And 
I made a decision at the end of the game which decided the outcome of the game and it went to the wrong team um, with, a, with a clearly a wrong decision. Um, and I had to apologise. I didn't have to. I chose to apologise to the coach directly after the game because I knew that I'd got it wrong. Um, and I also knew that by sort of putting my hands up and saying I wasn't good enough today, I knew that would disarm people. So I'd also prepared, and we talked before about being deliberate, I prepared for what I would do in those scenarios. What would I do if I got it really wrong? Um, and the first thing I've always said is I'll be honest. I'll be, I'll, I'll have a brutally honest review culture with myself mm-hmm. um, where I will be transparent. And if I messed up, I'll put my hands up and say, Christoph, that was not good enough. Um, and I'll directly approach the person who I need to approach. And I'll say, I, I wasn't good enough today. Um, and whatever they want to say next, that's fine. Um, but by doing that, I think you, you can disarm people. So that's one strategy. How did it go in that experience when you were brutally honest and fronted it up with that coach? How did they receive it? So the first thing is you have to know who the character is you're speaking to. Um, so you can't you can't plan um, to have one specific method with how you're going to deal with it, because not everyone is going to. Um, Uh, respond in the way you want them to respond so you have to make sure that the way you're going to attack it after you've got it wrong um, suits the individual who you're you're going to take it up with and I knew that this particular individual um, was rational was reasonable and would be understanding of the fact that I'd got it wrong Um, one of the other reasons I knew that was because I'd got it right so many times before um, I had money in the bank, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I've re- I'd refereed 30 games that had gone really well. So this was one mistake. And if I could be transparent and honest about this one mistake, then I just think your respect actually goes, it, your, your, your kudos increases as opposed to going the other way because people see, oh, he, he knows when he gets it wrong. He's honest. He mm-hmm. knows he doesn't know everything but Um, therefore there's also a good temperature test there that he also knows when he gets it right because he's honest yeah and and again back to your question about how I knew um how the coach took that I knew the character uh would take it well but I chose my moment and the moment isn't immediately after you blow the final whistle you've got to let and you spoke about temperature You've got to make sure the temperature in the room is the right temperature before you make that approach. Um, And for some people, when something has happened, whether it's in work or in sport, if something has happened that's upset someone and you need to engage that person, that might not, that opportunity might not happen for days. Um, You have to choose your moment. And it, it just so happened that my moment came within an hour after the game, which was fantastic because it meant that I drove home that night with a clear mind, lots of regret, but a clear conscience. And it meant that I slept well that night because I knew that I'd been honest about what had just happened. Um, and I, would have, I wouldn't have liked carrying that baggage for days, waiting for my moment. I don't think that would have been healthy. Yeah. Um, so the sooner you can make that intervention, the better, in my view but you've got to read it and it can't just be on your terms when you get it wrong. When you get it wrong, it has to be on the other person's terms. And 
you, you're sharing so many lovely stories and examples, Christoph, and I'm still drawn back to asking a similar question about, gosh, how did you develop this sort of intuition and this awareness and insight? Because again, lots of people be going, wow, how, how have you, you know, you're always saying I've got to read it, I've got to pick my timing, and I've got to check the environment. Can you develop that? Did you develop it? Is it through your rugby referee training? Is it through the coaching? Is it through you just constantly feedback into yourself and surrounding yourself with good people? You know, what tips might we give to those that are wanting to be in tune with this way of leadership or management, really? So again, I, I said at the start, and I, I harped on about it at the start of our of our chat about how interested I was yeah. in other people's behaviors. So I'd seen, um, I'd seen healthy debates. I'd seen um, toxic debates. Yeah. I'd seen conflict um, both on the sports field and in the street. Um, and I, I'd absorbed lots of information from all those different events. I really liked the way that person dealt with that. Or oh, I don't like how they just spoke then that came across really poorly. And that's a poor use of language. His body language over there, that is fantastic. He, his social capital and his presence is just brilliant because of the way that he's posturing and the way that his eye contact is engaging. And I've constantly been absorbing those different pieces of information. So I've been building and I'm still building now um, a picture of exactly it is that I think is effective yeah. when it comes to, to dealing with people. In, a, in any environment and so I'm not just turning up to work and then deciding now's the time to start learning yeah. um, I, I'm I'm always reading the room and grabbing yes. information constantly brilliant uh, you know and forgive me for keep going there because this is a this is a, a ongoing learning it's incidental it's everywhere isn't it I've captured the words of curiosity um, and, and absorbing as being kind of real um strategies for development actually or the strategies I'm you've nosy. used i'm very very yeah. nosy yeah um you know i see sirens and i want to follow them yeah um what's going on I, i'm interested um i see you know you see police running through the street let's follow them let's yeah. see what's going on I'm, yeah. it, it's interesting yeah. um so i am curious and i think it's good to be curious yeah. and i've probably still got a childlike mind in the way that i'm mm. curious um, and I think that's healthy. People say, and you often hear them say, you, you should still want to explore. You should remain curious and creative and, um, and full of wonder. And I, I try hold on to that. I think I'm lucky because naturally, naturally I'm like that. But I think if you're not, to, to try create curiosity is a nice thing. So somebody played to me, one of, a, uh, one of my previous guests played to me the idea of a, having a beginner's mindset that you've always got something to learn, you know, and I think it, it links to that childlike kind of curiosities that, you know, I'm always there at the beginning, there's always something more that I can get, which actually really spurs you on towards performance uh, and maximizing potential. So I really kind of parallel the two there. And, and that always having something to learn. Um, there's two different it's funny because I mentioned about you thinking you've got it sussed on one hand which I've I've had that experience where I think I know everything yeah. at this stage I think I found it all out but I also have imposter syndrome every week right. so I wonder whether I'm really meant to be there and we spoke about how I deal with self-doubt um but don't be I, I would I, I would my advice to anyone thinking about this would be you will tip the scales from one side to another. You'll think you know everything and then you'll think 
um, you probably don't have a belonging there and you haven't been found out yet. Um, and that's normal, I think. It's, it's perfectly normal. I, every, every week and in the Six Nations just gone, I was stood during the national anthems between France and Wales and I was stood next to Alwyn Jones, one of the best players in the world um, at the moment. And I was thinking, I, I'm not sure I belong here. And I was thinking that on the pitch, in the moment, two minutes before kickoff, during the national anthems, wondering whether I was in the right place at the right time and shocked that I hadn't been found out to have not been good enough yet. Mm. Um, and then you're kicking yourself to, 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 to try straighten back up and realise why you are there. So it's perfectly normal to have doubt um, and it's perfectly normal to think you've got it sussed. Mm. Um, so it's, it's ever evolving. I just wanted to give those two sides to say that I felt both. Well, and I, and I really love the connection you make with imposter syndrome because, you know, how many of us don't have that? You know, I think many, many people, whether they articulate it or not, feel that idea of, you know, my worthiness. Should I be here? Should I not? And, you know, as you're telling me the story, I, I really try to package it in a sense of actually maybe we can use it as actually quite a healthy thing to feel, you know, and if we can use it as a, a way of grounding us, but not not identifying ourselves by it. You know, and actually recognizing that it keeps us on our toes, doesn't it? To make sure that we. Sorry, Dave, you've just you've <laughs> just thrown something back into my mind. You spoke about not identifying us. Um, those bad decisions that you make, and I yeah. spoke about them being a speed bump or the catastrophic decision. They don't identify you. Mm. And I mentioned before that when you're the best, you make the best decision in the world. That awareness of knowing that won't identify mm. you because you will make a bad decision at some point. It works both ways. And the time when you truly think, oh no, this is really gonna reflect on my future is actually when you get it wrong. Um, and the truth is it, it, doesn't, it does not identify you um, because you made one mistake. I just think that's a really important point. Who do we identify with though? What, what is our identity? What is your identity? Would you say? Um, I think identity is your consistent behaviours and uh, your your consistent performance week to week. Um, so if you want it uh, sampled and you want a, a true answer, I think the sample has to be 50, 100 games. It has to be over the course of five years. Um, your identity is not found out in one day. And I, I, I always trust people until they give me a reason not to trust them. Um, so uh, I have people tearing their hair out because I will meet one builder for a quote <laughs> and then I'll take his word and not get another quote. And people say, you're crazy. And I say, but I trust him. Um, and I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt because I liked the way I connected with him. Um, so I, I want to trust people all the time. Lovely. I, I really like that idea. And it, it just throws out the idea to the listeners, though, about them considering what trust means to them and how they relate to it. And, you know, so much of the work that I'm doing at the moment is underpinned and always, always boils down to that concept of and that relationship with trust. Just want to ask you before we kind of begin to wrap things up, though, you've talked about some of the, the challenges and the speed bumps. What would you say would be some, one of your biggest highlights in your career? I always like to, to pick on something really positive. So far, what would be the, your biggest um, highlight for you? Um, so two highlights, and we've spoken about both sides of the spectrum. So I'm gonna give two. First one, when I got injured and had the realization that I was never gonna play rugby again, 
was devastating mm. for me. But at the same time, it gave me a clenched fist. It made me think, right, this is this is change. This is an opportunity to do something different. And I'm not going to let something like this happen to me again. Um, and we talk about iron fist, velvet glove. So uh, clench the fist and on the outside, no one notices because uh, you've got a nice, glo nice glove on it. So um, I ha that gave me that ability to say, right, I've had this huge setback here, but it doesn't matter. If anything, it spurred me to go and do something else and be really good at it. Um, so that's my first highlight is that setback that gave me that clench fist. And my second highlight is, is when I then got a professional contract as a referee and realized that I'd now got my foot in the door um, to the possibility of being the best at something else. Um, and I realized there was an ability to transfer from one thing to another. Um, and I think that they were two special highlights for me, one being a huge setback and one being the pickup again, where you restart that journey with something else. Um, and I think they joined together really nicely, mm. as opposed to just thinking of one game that's a great highlight. Yeah. I think to connect those two together and one day I'll come back on the podcast and there'll be a third um, part to this story <laughs> and then possibly a fourth part to this story. Um, so those highlights should connect and they won't all be good things, um, but there'll be things that that made for good things. Yeah, pivotal moments. Uh, it was somebody termed that for me as well you know that you made them into pivotal moments in your career yeah, so. and whenever you're asked for a highlight I think people assume you're going to tell them the best game that you've been involved in um, or the best moment and I, I, I just think highlights are more than your mm. best highlights sometimes are the worst um, because they're your, they're your recalibration moments they're the, the big intervention moments where you really learn and something changes so what's next for Christoph then? You know, where, where do you go next in, in your, your sports story or your journey? Um, so for me, I'm, I'm, my mind is heading towards 2023 World Cup now. So um, I'm concentrating game to game every week. I want to be outstanding so that I'm a, a step closer to being selected for the world cup in 2023 so that long-term goal two years away gives me purpose week to week um but i'm interested in other things as well and, and that's important is i think if you watch this, this this podcast and the people that do will have an impression that i'm quite intense um and that i uh really do only think about this and nothing else I do other things. I have a really nice um, relationship with my partner. We enjoy walking, um, exploring uh, in in forest forests across the country. We go abroad um, to do some trailing. Um, we're building a house together. So there's lots of other things going on, and that's important to this whole process. Is although, and I said before that the world class behaviors I think is a habit. Part of being world-class sometimes, I think, is doing nothing or doing something else. Um, and that has to be planned in. You have to ha let go for, for, for hours at a time because you, and we, we did mention it, you cannot operate at sixth gear constantly. You've got to drop it down and you've got to have some off time. You've got to have your mind thinking about other things so that you stay fresh. Um, and and, and I, oft I often 
describe it. And the analogy I use is about having sharp tools and not having blunt armor. Um, if you're constant and you're going at it and at it and at it, you will become flat and dull and it becomes boring. Um, if you step away, do something else and come back, you're fresh, it's exciting and you go again and there's that surge forwards. Um, so as much of as I've spoken about it being full on, very intense, um, constantly thinking of ways to learn, that time of doing something different that you enjoy is so invaluable. Brilliant. What a great message as well, Christoph. And I can hear the, the kind of the tension in you trying to not just say it, but really bring it to life for you, you know, to, to drive your performance levels. Uh, and, and I'm going to say your life performance levels, because they're not about refereeing this, is it? It's about that's a part of your whole, um, you know, your whole life pie, as it were. So yeah. it's, a, it's a great message. A quick pointed question in terms of, you know, your development, and I, I, this is a gift that I often ask uh, all my guests, is what resources or are there any books or anything that you've called on that have really been useful to you that we can share with some of the listeners that they might get some value from to help them on their journey? Um, the, the, the one book that lots of people talk about in my world is Chimp Paradox. Um, and I'm sure you've read it, Dave, and yeah. it's about that. Uh, self-doubt that chimp that sits on your shoulder tells you you're not good enough or tells you you've no you know you know everything um so it's that awareness and we've touched upon it a lot during this call awareness of uh non-realities that need you to rebalance and make yourself measured again um and the book talks about ways and strategies you can um adapt in order to achieve that Brilliant. Uh, and, and I can see how that really plays into the, the story that you've told today in terms of your real deep self-awareness and curiosity to, to know more about yourself, to be able to have really positive impacts on others. So I really, really absolutely see how that lands. Two very last quick questions then. Um, what advice would you give to a teenage version of you? You know, you've come through a, a, such a journey and I'm just wondering if there were two or three little quick tips you would give to a, um, you starting on the journey again. Um, yeah, uh, one big thing, I just talked about it, um, have other interests. Right. Um, don't be solely focused on, on one thing because you'll be disappointed because that one thing won't always be smooth and won't always be successful. So you have to have other things that you enjoy. Yeah. Um, and my other piece of advice would be if you can't win, don't lose. You're not always going to win. Sometimes you just have to survive, especially in my job. Um, so I often say to young referees, if you can't win, don't lose, just survive. Brilliant. And Christoph, my last one would be, you know, you, you've really um, opened yourself up here, given me a real great sense of how you work and the importance of your development uh, holistically, actually, not just as a referee, as I say, and the things you've learned from your earliest story. So wh whose sports story might you be interested to, to learn from? if we were to have a, a different guest or somebody you maybe even know a bit about and you'd like to know a little bit more about? Um, I'm really interested in uh, people that have had uh, complicated or tough, tricky uh, journeys to their success. Um, I think someone like Anthony Joshua would be fascinating. I also think Tyson Fury mm. is a fascinating character. Um, so people who have a little bit more than just sport to talk about, yeah. I think they're really interesting people. Um, and they're two 
two guys in the same game from two completely different backgrounds who will have really interesting stories. Um, but it will be more than just about boxing. Mm. It will be about experiences they had as children and growing up and why that put them in the position they are in today, um, waiting to fight each other, basically. <laughs> well, and I think you, you, you bring a lovely point out there in a sense of actually, you know, what's made those two people is, is their stories. We might know bits about them, but actually, you know, what I've picked up from you is about your journey right the way through from having that real big setback, but how you use that coming out of a playing career into a, actually creating a new identity and a new career, but actually, do I dare say, not just creating a new identity, but actually really developing yourself as an identity rather than being labeled as a referee or whoever you know, and linking it back to your, your mother and your father and the different roles that they played, I thought was a, a fabulous connection. And I can see how that's dripping through and you're still being curious about how that comes to play. So, you know, Christoph, thanks for being so open and honest. Um, and, and, you know, I, I pick up on that point again of you feeling quite purposeful and thought through, but I, I also feel a real softness and a, 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 a genuineness to really want to engage with people. So, Thanks for sharing it and being your authentic self. Sh should any of the listeners wish to find out a little bit more about you, how might they make contact or, or follow you or be interested to, to check I'm, in with I'm you? I'm always available to be contacted on LinkedIn. Um, it's Christoph Ridley. Uh, and I use social media and things like that. And I'm, I'm always open to have conversations, especially about things like this, um, because um, I'm not just interested in it, but I care about it. Um, and I sincerely care about it. So, uh, so yeah, so if anyone wants to get in touch, please do. Well, on that note of caring, you know, this is a real premise of the Sports Stories podcast. We really want to care about our guests. We really want to care in terms of helping our listeners progress. It's not just about the entertainment. It's about the key messages that the guests put forward. So, you know, I think you've been a fabulous guest. There's loads of stuff to take away, especially for me anyway. Um, so on that note, thanks ever so much. Uh, and we look forward to, as you say, having you again on the podcast to hear the, the next part of the journey. So uh, thanks, Christoph. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Really enjoyed it. Well, there we have it. Episode 45 of the Sports Stories podcast, where we certainly did delve and dive into the, uh, the sports story of Christoph. Uh, he was really open, really purposeful, really passionate. But what also came through for me was his determination for learning, for improvement, for reaching high standards and reaching the top of his game, whatever that means to him. He was a determined individual there that shone through. And I really loved the idea how he touched on some of his uh, adversity and how he turned up to, to really take the positive mindset out of it and the positive experiences out of that to really drive himself forward. He had a, a family experience which really underpinned that and really gave him some key messages and key lessons to help him drive forward. And it's amazing what he's managed to achieve in, in his career as, as a referee in the last four or five years or so. And I can see there's, uh, there's quite a long way to go still. What also really struck me though throughout the whole conversation was his openness to the, the tension and the dilemmas that he's facing. One of them being around the idea of being very purposeful and planned when the flip side of that might be about how that might take away from being uh, absolutely present and in the here and now and how he's navigating the balance between the two. The other thing was around performance habits um, and actually the consistency to put those into place um, because his behaviours were really about forming really positive 
habits and, and how you can maintain that and the sacrifices you need that whether you're a performance athlete, but it's really bringing that through into the, uh, the idea it's a performance habit, whether you're in business, whether you're in sport, whether you're in refereeing, wherever you are. And I really like the idea how he sort of transitioned that across. And lastly, the other sort of tension that he talked about for me was around um, his self-belief and confidence and how he had a, a quiet arrogance and how he needed that to, to affirm himself and get the gratification to keep motivated and keep going forward where you're often seen as the, the underdog or the villain or the per person bringing the sort of the wrong news or the bad news. Right the way through to the idea that, you know, he had quite a lot of self-doubt at times. Um, there was some imposter syndrome. He wondered whether he was justified in being where he was at. And I, and I really liked the idea that he saw those as a, a positive tension and a positive balance and how he used that to keep himself driving forward. He also talked lastly around sort of reaching his goals. Um, and I really liked the idea that he kept being quite goal focused, but then he, he flipped that and also was really curious about the idea that he, you know, he doesn't really know where he's going because we don't really know what success is. And by putting a, a barrier on the top of that in terms of a goal, it might actually be quite limiting. So um, a really questioning, a really thought provoking conversation was had with Christoph today, uh, which leads me to, to offer the questions out to you to consider. Christoph mentioned, if you believe that you are an average of the people you associate yourself with, then what would be your average? How would you measure your average based on the people that you surround yourself with? And secondly, if your identity is your consistent behaviours, how would people view you? What would you like to do more of or what would you like to change in terms of consistent behaviours? And how would you like your identity to be aligned to that? A couple of big questions again for you to consider and I really encourage you to take the time to sit back, review, think about them. You don't need to come up with an answer straight away, but I think they're such good questions that really make you consider how you move yourself forward in life and really add value uh, and maximize your impact and your potential. Now, as always, I offer a couple of questions, but I also want to just make you aware of the support that's available to you. I'd like to bring to your attention the Maximizing Your Leadership and Coaching Impact program that we have running. Please have a look on the website and sign up to that if you're interested. It's a fantastic program which will give you resources to look over a whole kind of a year's journey. Um, so please delve in deep, uh, have a look and see how you can really maximize your journey and your learning there. Secondly, there is the, the coaching and mentoring support and mentoring offer. Uh, once again, sign up to that, have a look on the website where there's a number of different packages. And Christoph Rees talked about, you know, the number of people that he surrounded himself with to help support, mentor and coach him. So this is your opportunity to surround yourself with really expert, credible, experienced individuals to help you on your journey to maximizing your impact. And lastly, all I say is, you know, we, we really thrive off the feedback and the great stories that we get through from you in terms of the impact the podcast is having in the programs. So please keep in touch, have a look on the website, drop us a note at www.sportsstories247.com. Your feedback, your comments, your ideas, um, what's working for you, what's missing is always really valued because we want to keep continuing to offer you the value that you deserve to help you make a difference in your life. And lastly, I just want to give a, a big thank you uh, to you, the listeners, as I always do. Thanks to today's guest, Christoph. It was a really fantastic in having him on. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to inviting a, a double Olympian, a double Paralympian athlete with me for next week's podcast. So, uh, Take care, have a great week. And for me, Dave Levine, I really look forward to having you with me on the Sports Stories podcast next week.